All rise in the courtroom and to those listening on stream for the dishonorable badger is entering the scene. Apparently doing this as a day job simply was not enough. So let your jaws drop to the floor cause we can't make this stuff up. Welcome back to the legal fun house. We put the fun in dysfunctional. It's crazy in the legal fun house but weirdly educational. But every single one is remarkably true. to law school and is more than qualified to talk about the strangest cases from the strangest people alive and the friend that he brought along barely past eighth grade whose legal experience lies within parking in the fire lane welcome back to the legal fun house we're just as confused as you it's finally time for the legal fun house and without further ado Every single one is remarkably true. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 32 of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. I'm your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister, and with me tonight, as always, is our certified legal layman, Alkali. Say hi, Alkali. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. So, episode 32, we'll get into the title and everything here in a moment, because every time I do this and I say the title at the beginning, I've realized that at the end of the episode, when I say the title again, I change the fucking title. Every single one. I've, I've been going through and listening to them for editing purposes, and I've realized every single time I am changing the title of the episode at the end of the episode. And then it's like, welcome to episode 31. Something smells funny. Whole fucking episode. And that's episode 31. S- trust your nose. And then I'm like, well, which one am I going with? And I end up like oh making shit up when I put it on there. I'm like, oh, this just, this is like last time. Uh, yeah. I listened to the opening and I realized that I'm like, this is episode 30 of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. And then I posted, I'm like, why did I say that? It was episode 31. <laughs> so episode, oh my God. episode 31 opens with me saying, welcome to episode 30. I just like using multiple titles. We're like the police squad of podcasts. Right. Just get bored. I like this. This is a good gag. Right. So, as always, the reason that those fuck ups get to stay in is we actually record this live over at twitch.tv slash boozy badger when we're recording the episodes. And uh, I don't like editing shit. So, so we have, I'll like, what's the rule? What's the rule when we record? One take unless absolutely necessary, which has only happened once. Twice. It's happened twice. Two two fucking times. Two fucking times it cut out in the middle and I had to go in and splice the audio in. But it's one fucking take. If we fuck it up, it stays in. We're good at that. It stays in. We do it live. So, before we get going tonight, I do have to go with our standard disclaimer, as always. And you'll notice, by the way. My audio is much nicer 
this this episode. I love the audio. Yeah. It's very nice. You know why? I, I bought a fucking microphone on layaway. <laughs> what are you using? <laughs> like it's a it's a Yeti Nano. Oh, nice. Yeah, like okay, like cool. a, a used one was seventy bucks, and I'm like, that'll fucking do it for what I use this for right that, that, now. That'll, yeah, that'll no, fucking those do are it. Good. And you know what? When I actually get a good mic, well, oh. welcome to our new live show, Mike. When we're places, this is exactly it's exactly. it's small enough I can put it in the luggage or I can shove it up my ass uh, and waddle my way through airport security. That, uh, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. There's already far too many other things up there Re- when you're going through airport security. Really? I don't believe it for a second because I'm too goddamn cheap to fly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that one I agree that's, on. That's like, you know, Boozy, you can fly or drive 14 hours. Gotta drive 14 hours. Gotta drive. Gotta drive. I saved $3. <laughs> We've gotten used to it. We know all the tricks, a little bit of vitamins before you get in, and lots and lots of energy drinks. So, as always, let's go ahead and get the uh, standard disclaimer out of the way. Boozy's Legal Funhouse is an informational, educational, and hopefully entertaining discussion of the law and legal topics. While I am an attorney, I am not your attorney. Nothing that we say here tonight is legal advice, nor does it create an attorney-client privilege. The way that I would become your attorney if I accepted private clients which I do not, is you would come into my office, have a seat across from me, tell me your legal problem. I would agree to represent you, hand you a retainer agreement, you would sign it and pay a retainer of my choosing. Like, you don't just get to send me a dollar. And then you've retained counsel. But I don't accept private clients, and I'm never going to meet with you. They will accept a dollar, though. I'm just pointing that out. <laughs> oh no, I'll take your money, just not I'll in return. Just not money. in return for representing you. I want to be very clear. If you send me your money, which you can do in a variety of ways that we'll discuss in a moment. <laughs> if you send me your money, I will take and keep your money. I'm just not going to be your lawyer. <laughs> Oh, always works out so well. No attorney client privilege is created by anything we discuss here. Uh, No privilege attaches. There's no relationship. Remember, if you have a legal issue, you need to go see a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction. Those are the people that can give you legal advice. No matter what you hear tonight as we talk about a general principle, you don't get to say a fat guy who acts like a cartoon badger on the Internet told me about this it won't work out for you i mean but it's an interesting conversation starter oh yeah like uh, like you're going you're not going to regular jail <laughs> if you look at the police yeah. officer the cartoon badger told me about this that's not it's not going in your favor you're not go get the white coat yeah you're not going to normal jail <laughs> that's you you ever seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest that's where you're going Oh, half a cigarette is worthless. Yeah, that's that's the jail you go to if you start talking about cartoon badgers giving you legal advice. (laughs) So, before we get into the episode, it's time for a a little bit of chit-chat, some back and forth. For those of you who may be tuning in for the first time, I am an attorney. I'm also a comedian and a comedic performer. And Alkali, Alkali is also a comedic performer, comedian, and has been doing it much better than I have for my... I disagree with you entirely, but that's very kind. Uh, Alkali, you have some performances coming up. 
Yes, I do. I will be a guest of honor at Nomadicon coming up at the end of this month. Uh, and then I have a little break before uh, we will be uh, giving a hand over at Anthrocon with all of our uh, normal panels, which I am emailing right now and trying to get into the proper time slots, not against each other. <laughs> I will be uh, performing at Anthro, Ohio, the same weekend that Alkali is at Nomadicon. Uh, so, you know, if you want to, like, just take a, a short hop, you can stop in Columbus and see me on Friday and then drive overnight to Nashville. Um, there you go. There you go. This is this is the circuit. Then at Anthrocon, we're going to be doing all of our normal performances as well as, and you may like this if you're going to be there, folks, a live recording of Boozy's Legal Funhouse, assuming, of course, we can fix that thing Alkali was just talking about. Yeah, <laughs> once that gets fixed. <laughs> Where we have shit going head to head, which, how that happened, because I, I looked at the schedule, because I told you about it this morning. The uh, Yeah, you did. Thank you for doing that, because that way I actually checked my email. The performer's schedule got sent out, and they're like, review it and let us know if there's problems. And I looked at it, and I mean, well, I can see one big problem, because there's four panels on there, two from you, two from me. Four, four four panels, four performances. Uh, the problem is, is they are performances where we are both on each other's performing panel. Yeah. <laughs> and they are scheduled at the exact same time. This is how, look, they've done amazing things with cloning recently. Yeah. Hey, like, I'm on board. If they figured out time travel, which I'll... Time- <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the furries, but if they figured out a way for me to actually be in two places at once, I'm down. But other uh, honestly, yeah. I'm a little too worried about the clone things. One of me is already destructive enough. I don't know. But but you know what it would take care of if you could be in two places at once? What's that? The merch table. Okay, now that would be nice, but I also have a bigger fear on this one because two of me is frightening. Yeah, two two of you is world ending. <laughs> The debates that the two of you would have agreeing on your topic would cause a black hole to form in your kitchen. I love the fact that you are assuming that a clone of me would not just argue with myself. Just for the hell of it. Just, just for the hell of it. Just for the no, hell of it. No, actually, that, that stands. So before we get going too far, I do need to read off the names, as always, of the Patreon supporters of the show and the shit we do here. Uh, so a special thank you to Tezcat Magic, Jag, Waylon DeRoche, Beaton, Those of the Trash, Panda Mama, T, Uncle Kage, Evelyn Klein, Lisa Lupe, Lufus the Raccoon, Netherlinks, Pandemonium, Petrov Neutrino, Buddy Good Boy, CC Otter, Chroma Hydra, David Hunter, Dragor, Eddie the Weather Fox, Flat Fox, Ghost Goat, Grace Jane Gollinger, Hayden Foxen, Jason Knight, John Michael Carden, Julie Slinger, Jess James, Lack, Levy Burnett, Lorraine Poirier, Mark Whipple, Michael Blocker, Nikolai Autopoom, Red Fox, Scuba Fox, Sarah and Silver, Tekel, The Dragon Show, Tiny Voices, and Ziggy. If you want to be one of those wonderful people, you can always support the Legal Funhouse over at patreon.com slash lawyersandliquor. Or you can just, you know, send me PayPal at lawyersandliquor. It's not, not that fucking difficult. That's the PayPal name, lawyersandliquor. Just, just go ahead and, and send it over there. There you go. <laughs> With no caveats or legal advice attached. Right? Right? None. Actually, we, we did get a um, a tip through uh, through PayPal. Between, really? Between the last show and this show. And you know, Like a tip as in money or a tip as in like, fire the uh, tall fat guy. You really don't need him. Yeah. And do you know what, uh, what it was? What was that? It was $15. 
and it, and it had a message that said, uh, you said a retainer of my choosing and my choosing is $15. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Right. And I, I'm like, I'm trying to respond to him. Like, that's not how it works. The directions were clear. Uh, but they had turned off messages through PayPal. So if you're So li- it sounds like you are taking clients. Yeah. If you're here for the live recording or you are listening on the podcast when it releases, uh, I'm still not your lawyer. Uh,. Boozy's Legal Funhouse, the only place where a lawyer can get gang-pressed into legal representation. I I am, however, keeping your $15. (laughs) (laughs) That's a consultant's fee. Right. That's the dipshit tax. (laughs) You didn't listen to directions. That's the dipshit tax. It might have just been a really good try. Like, oh, they said $1. Are they expecting $15? (laughs) So, uh, and I have some people here who are like, uh, hey, Boozy, the video keeps going out and coming back, and I can tell you exactly what's happening. You're switching your screen, aren't you? Yeah, like like I've got shit up, and it's it's jumping the screen around as I switch behind topics. So, uh, however, I'm going to let you know right, right away, because I do this every time. Uh, this is primarily a podcast recording, uh, so I may not fucking respond to you when there's technical <laughs> issues. <laughs> That's the one you're getting today. <laughs> hey, I do podcasting too. Trust me, the best response to technical issues half the time is pretending they're not happening right. and ending the show early and smoking and drinking until the pain stops. So by, by the time this episode comes out, which will be next week, uh, Alkali will be on the way to Nomadicon. Oh, no, you won't yet. You won't, you won't be on Nomadicon yet. No, no, I'm going the same weekend as you go to Anthony Yeah, Ohio. yeah. But uh, by the time it comes out, some things will have moved around. The the times will have changed. As we're sitting here tonight recording this, it is May the 9th of 2023. And, Agreed. And, I hope. And Alkali, we start every episode after our back-and-forth bullshit with some legal news. Agreed. Right. And there is one piece of legal news that I am certain everyone wants to hear about today. You heard about Grandma's encounter with the Popo. I knew it. I knew you'd find it. You, are, I am from the South. When you say my grandma's encounter with the Popo, I'm like, you're going to have to be more specific. Uh, you're like, like half of the grandmothers I grew up knowing. Uh, were sweet little old ladies who made really good fried chicken, and the other half uh, were felons. So, uh, see, mine was a sweet old lady who made fried chicken, and then, like, it got thrown out. But for a moment, felon. I mean, it was a small abduction case, very small, just small hostage situation. Everything worked out fine. So. Uh, uh, actually, a good piece of legal news uh, comes out of St. Louis, Missouri. Ooh, I mean, it's like it's not they do. like it's not a good piece of legal news. It's actually kind of a horrible fucking piece of legal news from a lawyer's perspective. Uh oh, St. Louis uh, elected a DA uh, named Kim Gardner. All right. Uh, that, that's essentially what she is. She, she's the DA. She's the prosecutor's office there. Uh, what they call the St. Louis Circuit Attorney. All right. Okay. Uh, and last Thursday, 
Attorney Gardner announced that she was resigning from that office. Now, why would this be special news? Well, like, why would it be? Because this comes after a judge there, Judge Michael Noble, uh, appointed a special prosecutor to pursue a contempt case against Attorney Gardner and another attorney in her office because they just didn't fucking show up for a trial. Wait, they missed an entire trial. They just did not show up. Did they win? Like, if they did, if the prosecutor wins without being present, we can just call it a fucking day. Justice is not real. I I agree. We've given given up all pretense now. (laughs) Like, we're not even Uh, pretending. I don't think they need me today. You know know what? Defense forfeit. Defense forfeits. Slaughter rule. We gotta go. It's time for pizza and ice cream. Uh... Uh, but I mean, her office has been really uh, kind of under fire uh, in a two month period. About a third of the office's staff, including attorneys, just resigned. Really? Yeah. Uh, another prosecutor in her office uh, actually died in a car crash last Wednesday, the day before that. It's just easier to resign. Oh, God. Uh, The Missouri governor uh, and the Missouri attorney general, Andrew Bailey, uh, have started basically investigating her office for what they are calling willful neglect. Oh, God. Uh, And the whole basis of this is that she was intentionally refusing to perform duties uh, like prosecuting cases, making charging decisions, keeping victims informed, and making sure defendants get a fair trial. Uh, That seems like kind of the basics there. It it does, but... Here's here's the thing. Um, I don't know if you can have a here's the thing after, yeah, we should represent the people we're supposed to be representing. Well, you represent the people, yeah, but prosecutors make charging decisions and they pursue criminal cases, right? Okay. And I, I've, I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm in the Philadelphia area, and we, right, have, we have a prosecutor named Krasno in, um, in Philly, who's a progressive prosecutor, he's a progressive DA, and one of the things that he decided in his office was, you know what, there's certain offenses we're just not going to prosecute anymore. Like, okay. Like, I'm going to tell my prosecutors, don't charge in these cases. Yeah, it's technically against the law, but it's like weed possession or prostitution first offense, and we're just not going to prosecute those people. We don't think it does any good. Now, like, repeated offenses, yes, we'll go after them, but but first offenses, we don't think it really helps to prosecute them. So, uh, now... It, it is alleged that that is the type of prosecutor Gardner was. That, okay. so, that some of these failures were not failures so much as they were decisions. We're not going to prosecute these things. Don't charge that. <laughs> um, you know, we, we think some of these laws are too harsh. So as a prosecutor, uh, we're not going to, to go after that. All right. Okay. And she is insisting that it's politically motivated. And it could very well be because the Missouri governor and the Missouri attorney general, who are the two that are really going after her. 
Yeah. Are Republicans. Ah. And, okay. And then. Gardner is a progressive Democrat. Now that said, why would uh, she? Why would she resign? Uh, probably because about a third of her office has resigned. One of her lead prosecutors has died. Uh, she is being investigated for contempt by by a judge who uh, who had called her office, and I quote, a rudderless ship of chaos. Is this one of those things that you resign before you get fired yeah, so you like, can get your like, pension? Yeah, I mean, probably not okay. Probably not for a pension, but but yeah, that's uh, it probably yeah. is one of those things of, you know, resign and we'll stop these investigations is probably more what it's like. God, unreal. Unreal. So, and our second piece of legal news okay. is... Um, Trump's a liar. No. <laughs> yeah. No. But more than that, Trump's a malicious liar. No. Donald Trump has maliciously lied about people who uh who have said that they sexually assault that he sexually assaulted them. Uh and he maliciously lied by saying that he did not do those things. And, okay. and I can say that without any fear of that being a defamatory statement. Oh, really? Because today a jury in New York, as a matter of fact, found as a matter of fact, that Donald Trump violated defamation laws and is liable in an amount in excess of $5 million to... <laughs> To to uh, I, to to a woman who uh, said he he sexually assaulted me back in the nineties, and he oh she's a liar, she's a lying liar, she's a lying liar, and she's she's not my type, and this and that, uh, and it went to trial, and the jury heard the case, and the jury came back and said we find Donald Trump's a lying pervert, um. <laughs> And that he defamed her by saying this, that she's a liar, and she's now entitled to $5 million. Yay! The, oh, my God. I like that the only difference between what you just told me and just the general consensus of everyone is it's now official yeah, like, that he's a liar. It's a matter of law now. There, Don, <laughs> Donald Trump, According- it is res judicata. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yes. The, According to the law, the branch that has decided that this state, if you sue it, has its own court, and who wants nothing to do with corpses, the two pieces of information I have definitely learned from doing this podcast, <laughs> they have now told us it's official. Donald the Trump liar lies. is lying. Yeah, the liars. Thank you. <laughs> it's like Donald Trump's liar. No shit. No, no. He's legally a liar now. Legally He's a liar. He's legally a liar now. I uh, can swear on all these Bibles. He is a liar. Now, I, I do have to be uh, Colonel Boozy Buzzkill for a moment. Oh, I, uh, because, welcome back, Colonel. Because I have seen on a... Uh, on social media, people are like Donald Trump guilty of, and I'm like, he's not guilty of anything. It's a civil case. Uh, he's liable. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, but now, now that they found that he sexually assaulted, they probably, I'm like, no, they can't. Uh, like that's a whole separate thing. That's, 
like the 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 OJ Simpson thing, like he's not guilty of murder, but he's liable for causing their death. Yes. Yes, I remember uh, that one. Wor- that was works a- the other way. Works the other way. You could be liable for something and still be found not guilty for it. Uh, because civil matters have a lower burden of proof than criminal matters. Criminal matters have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, which means all things viewed equally, the only reasonable explanation is they committed this crime. Well, how does double jeopardy work if you go the other way, then? If it the d- civil fine... Does, no? it, it doesn't work. There, There is no okay. double jeopardy applied. Double jeopardy only applies to criminal matters. Okay, and understood. In a civil matter, we may say it's a res judicata issue. Uh, although okay. I'm going to tell you, if they can't really make a civil burden, they're probably not going to bring the criminal case. No, I'm talking the other way. Right. What if the civil burdens, they say innocent, the, the, the actual trial, they say guilty. Do they go back to the civil burden or the civil burden is chosen? No, they, they would say uh, it's a res judicata issue. It's a stopped. The, the court's already fully heard and determined the civil claim. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So even though the yeah. higher court found, yep. doesn't matter. It's already done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. And in civil cases, like in this one, the burden is preponderance of the evidence. And preponderance of the evidence just means the evidence shows it's more likely. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the, let me put it this way. Okay, reasonable doubt is, you know, 99% to 1%. 99% guilty, 1% innocent. The 1% innocent is maybe they're innocent if aliens beam down, whack somebody in the back of the head and erased everybody's memory. All right. Wednesdays, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas preponderance of the evidence is kind of like, okay, we start here and then the plaintiff makes it go like that in their favor. Okay. That, that's okay, all it. it is. Uh, All right. No, that makes sense. So, so that's why you'll like have somebody who's not guilty in a criminal trial, and then they'll be found civilly liable for something very, very similar to and arising out of the same offense. Uh, it's because you can't prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, but you can prove liability by the weight of the evidence, and vice versa. Okay. Uh, so, those are our big pieces of legal news, and I wanted to get end the legal news portion on Trump because uh, we're going to talk about criminal shit again today. Oh, goody! Criminals! So, uh, what do you know about extradition? Extradition? Extradition. Uh, That is is when you have too many numbers to add, so you have extra addition and you fail your math test. And then you go to spelling and you fail that class. And look, just just get out of school. Did um, Did you happen to listen to the new theme song by Status Ferret? Uh, for years, no, I couldn't. Yeah. I was on the headset, so I could only hear you. There's a uh, there's a line in the theme song that says, one graduated law school and the other barely passed eighth grade. There you go. That's so I just, I just want to let you know, that's about the level of the answer you just gave. Yeah, that's about just, the level just of the about I go level. for. All right. <laughs> so extradition is, uh, let's say Bob murders somebody in in Indiana. All right. And flees Indiana. And flees Indiana to Ohio. All right. All right. Now, Indiana can't go. In, Indiana has no power to go into Ohio and seize Bob. They don't have that legal power. Because. We, because oh, he's on Google. Right. Because we have a theory called separate sovereigns in the U.S. All right. We have the sovereign. The sovereign is the federal government. Okay. All right. A separate sovereign is the state government. 
And each state government is separate from the other one, and they're all part of that grand coalition that make up the representational federal government. Okay. All right, but each state remains its own separate sovereign. So if Ted murders somebody in Indiana and goes into Ohio, Indiana doesn't just get to go into Ohio. Ohio is a separate sovereign from Indiana. They got to get Ohio to grab this guy and give him back. Exactly. And that's why when they drafted the United States Constitution, they put in something called the extradition clause. And the extradition clause says every state upon the demand of another state will give up a, a fugitive from justice for a crime, treason, or felony that's within their state borders. So okay. Indiana says to Ohio, hey, we want you to go pick up Bob or Ted or whatever I named the murdering bastard. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll go with Ted. We want you, you know to- the sign, yeah. don't murder people, Ted. Yeah, there you go. Don't, no burying people on the beach, Dave. Dave, <laughs> best sign ever. So they go out and Ohio says, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And the governor issues a warrant based on Indiana's request for the police in Ohio to go pick up Ted. And they pick up Ted, and they bring him back, and there's a little minor court hearing, and then they ship Ted's ass back to Indiana. And then Ted stands trial in Indiana. So let me ask, though, in an extradition situation, let's say that Ohio doesn't want to give Ted up. Like, they're not doubting that Ted killed a man in Indiana. But maybe Ted is a really big Cleveland Browns fan. Okay. And Cleveland's like, he's the one. He's the only one we got left. <laughs> this sounds like a legitimate story. Continue. Like, Ted, Ted's literally the only guy who still lives here. <laughs> oh, my God. Just, just, him, just him and Drew Carey, and Drew's only here in the <laughs> summer. Um, I mean. Hey, Cleveland rocks. Oh, my God. Okay, all so, right, I'm following so you. Say so say Ted doesn't want to give him up. Like, like Ohio says, we're not giving you Ted. No, we we, you, we believe did, Ted murdered a man. We agree so with you. My, we're just not going to issue the fucking warrant. So I want to argue with you and tell you it's in the Constitution, but isn't that how the North versus the South worked it, for? It absolutely is in the Constitution. Yeah. And that's why in 1860. <laughs> oh, God. In Kentucky v. Denison, the United States Supreme Court had to hear a case specifically about Ohio saying, We're not going to give it to you. Oh, no, we agree. He probably committed a crime within your state. Like, we absolutely agree that that occurred. And you've submitted all the correct paperwork. we're just not gonna do it but we're not gonna send them to you so before uh, so in the 1800s the supreme court actually heard this case oh yeah this was 1860 uh and this isn't even the main case this is just me giving you some background wonderful uh it it was ohio versus ted kentucky v denison which the commonwealth of kentucky versus the governor of ohio (laughs) is is what it was so to backpedal a bit under the Constitution, uh, there there's a few things that, that have to happen 
for an extradition right. request to be valid. All right. Uh, first, uh, the the state that they committed the crime in has to actually charge him with the crime. Okay. Right? Uh, and then the governor of that state, uh, which is which is called the charging state, uh, then sends it to the asylum state. This the, the governor of the asylum state, the state where the person is. Okay. Right? Uh, and when they do that, they have to send over a, a copy of the indictment or the affidavit of the charges out there uh, with certain documents. Uh, and they must, it must like be, Hey, this person is guilty of or has been charged with treason. They have been charged okay. with a felony or they have been charged with another crime. Uh, it has to be certified as an authentic document um, by, by the governor of the state uh, that's, that's requesting it. All okay. Right. Um, and as well as the governor of the state that they receive, like he, he has to make sure, okay, this is, this is a real document. This is what it says it is. All right. Right. Uh, the asylum state then after reviewing all that then says, okay, we're going to issue the warrant for their arrest. Uh, and once they get the guy, they, they notify the governor of the other state. Hey, uh, we got him. All right. Then uh, the the state that requested has to send somebody to to pick the guy up, like typically within thirty days or so. So, okay, like, so there's a time limit on their uh, yeah, Uber order. Yeah, Got like it. once once Ohio gets Ted, and Ohio tells Indiana, uh, "We got him. We we received your documents. We reviewed them. They're fine. We got him." We got so now you yeah, send a list and grab them and yeah, okay. Indiana has thirty days to go get Ted. All right. And if they if they don't get Ted in thirty days, uh they're done. All right? Got it. Uh-huh. So over the course of time, you would think that uh that that's real simple. Right? That that seems pretty simple, yeah. But but we know that back in eighteen sixty, um in Kentucky v. Denison, Ohio said we're not going to give you Ted. Do they have a reason for not giving Ted? Uh, they actually do. They, they have oh. a very good reason for not giving Ted, at least today, a very good reason for not giving Ted. What's that? In 1860, what did Kentucky have that Ohio didn't? Bourbon. Slaves. Oh, I was right. This is one of those. Ted and his name wasn't Ted, by the way, but uh, yeah, right, but but, right. But, the, but the gentleman charged in Kentucky was actually a uh, freed former slave, a legally freed former slave, who okay. would cross the Ohio River and help other slaves escape. Ah, okay. And there, there was a crime, a felony, in a number of states in that time, uh, called stealing slaves. People who helped slaves escape were said to have stolen the slaves. Oh, my God. Okay. So he got charged with that in Kentucky. He fled, obviously, back across the river into Ohio. And Ohio said, yeah, we're not giving him to you. You're, you're going to hang him. So, no. <laughs> Don't work, Ohio. Like we, we, we are not doing that. Uh, and Kentucky See, now Ohio is portent once every four years during the election and in 1840 good work Ohio now, way to make your mark Kentucky didn't like that obviously really yeah. 
So Kentucky brought a court case to say, hey, they don't get the discretion to do that. Like, the Constitution doesn't give the governor discretion to just say, no. Uh, And the Supreme Court of the United States agreed. The Supreme Court, really? the Supreme Court of the United States, came back and said that there were only four circumstances where a governor of of the receiving state of the asylum state could refuse a valid extradition request. Okay. Uh, the first one is it's not valid. The the right. the documents that have been submitted are not in order. They're not correct or they're not valid documents. Okay. Uh, the second was uh, the person hadn't been charged with a crime. They hadn't been indicted or or otherwise charged with a crime when the request was made. So there was no reason to hold them. Uh, The third was that the person in the document, the the person they were seeking the extradition of, wasn't the person that they arrested. Like, if it was Ted 1 and Ted 2 and they arrested Ted 2. Okay. Like... You got to watch out for all those things. Yeah. And the last one is they weren't a fugitive. They they were not a fugitive from law. They had not left the state that they were charged in. So they were not technically a fugitive. Oh, so the, right. that, that's just, no, right. we can't arrest this guy in this state because he's not in this state, right. dumbass. Either that, okay. or, either that or the law is invalid. Like the, the one that you're arresting him on isn't even valid in your state. You know, something, oh, okay. like, something right. like that. Um. Otherwise, the United States Supreme Court came back and said, you don't have any discretion outside of those very specific four circumstances, which they, they have a, uh, an extradition. That's what an extradition hearing is, by the way. <laughs> when you hear about extradition hearings for interstate between the states, that's what they are. They're, they're hearings just to make, those four things. Yeah, they're hearings to see those four things, and then they go, okay. Um, there's kind of like an unofficial fifth reason uh, that isn't better than anything else, because the unofficial fifth reason is... Uh, they're already serving time in our state, so we don't have to send him to you till he's done here. Really? Yeah. Like that. They, they can say that's he, he's already been convicted of a crime or is charged with a crime in our state, so we'll send him to you when we're done with him. I love it. I love it. The royal front. Oh, excuse me. The royal flush of bullshit life choices. Yeah, you can't arrest me. I'm already arrested. So, so the Supreme Court agreed with Kentucky, uh, said Ohio's governor does not have discretion. This is mandatory. If those, if one of those circumstances doesn't apply, he has to honor the extradition. All right. Okay. So what happened? Well, if, cause like after that happened, even like before the Supreme court, but on the lower courts and the lower courts, like, no, you have to turn him over. The Ohio governor's like, no, <laughs> No, we're we're not gonna fucking do it. You know, you can issue as many orders as you want. We're still not going to fucking do it. Holy shit! And you what do you do when the Supreme Court said it? Well, that that's the thing because the Supreme Court agreed with Kentucky that the exercise is mandatory. It's a mandatory exercise. It's not right. discretion. But Kentucky had actually asked for something called a rent of mandamus. And a writ of mandamus is basically a court order directing a government official to do something they are obligated by virtue of their office to do. Okay. All right. So uh, it, it was a big thing in the Oberfell cases. Uh, Oberfell v. Hodges, 
with the no, with no. marriage certificate. Gay marriage, motherfucker. You know oh, what that is. Yeah, uh, but I no, didn't know the Jesus, name. Jesus. I call it the Fucking, good thing. The good thing. The, the good thing. Yeah, you know, the pokey butt good thing and the wedding ring good thing. The two major yeah. Supreme Court cases of our lifetime. What the fuck? Two different <laughs> rings, very different colors. Anyway. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> what? They used to call me white gold. Anyway, any, Continue. Anyway, when they, when they were refusing to issue the marriage licenses, um, okay, yeah. and, and that's what the writ of mandamus was for. It was, it was, by virtue of your office, you have to issue these. This is a court order okay. telling you to do that. Got it. So Kentucky actually sought a writ of mandamus from the United States courts against the governor of Ohio saying, by virtue of your office, you are obliged to return him to us. All right. All right. So the Supreme court said they're right. You are obliged. However, Oh, we do not find the federal government has the authority to enforce an extradition request. We we believe the federal government does not have the authority to go into and order the governor of another state to turn over somebody uh, for prosecution in a in what we call the sister state. Oh, and you tried to tell me that the Supreme Court said you better give him over. So yeah, the Supreme. We gotta ba- go to lunch. Basically, the Supreme Court said, "Yeah, you're obligated to hand him over, and we're gonna count to three if you don't." But we have nothing we're going to do after three. We find well, we maybe do, four. Yeah, four. we find we don't have the authority to do anything after three. I'm just <laughs> a magic guy in an office right now since 1840. 9,731,12. So, 9,731,13. You're about to have the longest podcast ever. <laughs> Nine million. Okay, I'm done. So, and in some degree, that makes some sense because you you have to look at the legal landscape in that time period in the 1860s, before the 1860s. One of the things, and that's always I like I hate putting it this way because uh, whenever you hear it, it was about states' rights. The correct answer is the states' right to do what, asshole. <laughs> um, but to some degree, it actually sort of was in whether or not the federal government had the power to say, yeah, no, not doing that anymore. Uh, and it wasn't the first time that happened in American history. There was actually something called the nullification crisis back during Andrew Jackson's presidency. And that was an idea that a state could say, we are a separate sovereign. We don't have to obey a federal law if we don't want to. that go it did not go well uh, ah, led, led to a series of supreme court cases basically saying yeah no that's that's bullshit the united the, the federal law is the supreme law states don't get to pick and choose which federal laws they want to follow <laughs> um however because of the nullification crisis which remember in this point in time was maybe 40 50 years in the past at most from the beginning of it okay in the in that context, and right on the verge of a war, and this is right at that time period where the government for 20 years had been doing everything they, they could to try to appease the slaveholding fucks to, to stave off a civil war, uh, 
so the government said, we, we don't think the federal government has that power to enforce over a separate sovereign. Like, like we, okay. yes, no, we agree they they have to under law. We don't think we have the power to order the executive of a, of a separate sovereign to, to do this though. Holy like, shit. like we would have the power to order a federal employee to perform their job, but we don't have the power to order a, an executive of a state to do their job. The state court has to do that. Not us. Okay. All right. And that actually remained the law uh, for a long time. How long do you think that actually remained the law? That uh, if the governor of a state just said, yeah, not going to turn him over. Yeah, no, I know I'm supposed to. And I know legally I'm obligated to. And I don't really have any discretion. I've just decided I'm not giving this guy to you. I'm going to go with the 1930s. The 1930s. 1930s. Mm. Based off of solid scientific guessing. So about 70 years is what you think. About 70 years. About 70 years. Uh, 127. Halfway there. It It was in 1987. Holy shit. That the United States Supreme Court revisited uh, Kentucky v. Denison. And said, you know what? No, actually, we do have the power to. <laughs> Federal courts do have the power to order them to do that. Uh, in that case, uh, that case was called, I believe, uh, Puerto Rico v. Brandstad. And that was a, a postal worker uh, visiting Puerto Rico. Um, ran some kids over. And fled. <laughs> Just took the fuck up. Went back to Iowa. Holy shit. And Puerto Rico said, okay, we've charged him with vehicular homicide. We want him to come back and stand trial here. Uh, here's our extradition request. And I was like, no. And you can't make us. Because the only way you can make us is to go to the federal court. And the federal court said back in 1860 that they don't have the power to do that. And this time the Supreme Court stepped in and said, yeah, actually, we thought about it. And shit's changed since 1860. And we, we we definitely fucking have that. Like we had a whole war about the extent of the federal government's power over the States. And now that it's come up again, um, we've sort of decided we can do this now. Can we just have a committee go over all the laws pre 1800 and just do something like right out of history of the world? Yes. No, 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 yes, no. Just just clean this shit up. So here's a good question, though. For that, like, 127 years between 1860 and 1987, what would happen if somebody committed murder in your state and then fled that state and the governor of that state maybe for an entirely improper reason, just said, we're not giving them to you. Did you just... Sounds like... Did you just... Sounds like what, bounty hunters? Well... they do? Hire... Well, but that's the thing. Because it was another change between 1860 and 1987. What's that? That change would be the 14th Amendment. Remember, remember last time we talked about the Fourth Amendment and the right against unlawful search and seizure and how if it's unlawful, you can't be arrested and anything flowing right. from it can't take place. The Fourteenth Amendment the, uh, it did something called due process. You can't be deprived of your life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. Basically, okay. it made the Bill of Rights applicable 
to the states. Because before that, there was a very strong argument that the Bill of Rights, the constitutional rights, only applied to the federal government. That the state governments themselves weren't really beholden to all of the rights in the Bill of Rights. Really? Yeah. The 14th Amendment's due process clause, part of that was kind of like, okay, yeah, no, everything applies to the states now. Like The whole constitution applies directly to the state governments now. You know, I actually, all joking aside, I did not know that that was the purpose of the 14th Amendment. That was a huge purpose of it. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. It it was one of the, uh, one of the, they were called the slavery amendments uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And and that's, that was their purpose. Uh, End slavery, guarantee constitutional rights to all citizens through the United States Constitution and make it applicable on the states so the states can't do fucking end run around shit. And uh, voting rights for for African Americans. Uh, yeah. Okay then. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. That's how they made. I I didn't know the Bill of Rights was ever not applicable. Yeah. To there, the there there was an argument for a very long period of time that was founded. You know, like there were court cases finding that said, yeah, the Constitution only restrains the federal government, not the state government. Wow. Okay. Wow. So post. 1865 it's a whole new landscape legally so if a police officer or, or if a bounty hunter say say uh a, a government official hires a bounty hunter because bounty hunters are only legal because they would operate under warrant at that point in time okay like they, like they had a legal authority to do these things right and where somebody acts with a legal authority they are a an operator of the state. They're an agent of the state in that action. Okay. So which, they also yeah, shouldn't be able to cross yeah, lines. They're bound by the same restrictions. So if you just send somebody across, it's an illegal arrest. Right? Okay. Okay. Luckily, there's a court case that addresses this. Okay. And that is our case today. This, this case is called, and you're going to love this fucking name because I love this fucking name. Okay. Man v. Justice. Yes. <laughs> yes, finally. This sounds like a literary turn. Man versus man. Man versus machine. Man versus justice. Now, now it's spelled man, M-H-A-O-N. Yeah, but, but, I can't spell though, so it's M A N. Man v. Justice. Uh, this is 127 U.S. 700, United States Supreme Court, 1888. Okay, love it. But we don't start in 1888. Oh boy, how far back are we going? We got to go back to 1882. Okay. All right. There's an area where West Virginia and Kentucky touch. And a lot of people go across the river there and all of this. Uh, it's actually an area, it's called the Little Tug River, uh, is okay. the tiny river that, that separates them. But it's like a big communal area, like the town there. It's all one fucking town, just separated by a little bit of farmland. One half of it's in West Virginia, one half of it's in Kentucky, you know. Uh, and so events in like West, the West Virginia side are events for the Kentucky side and vice versa. So it's 1882. Okay. It is election day in Kentucky. And back then in rural counties, election day 
was a whole thing. Like, like people came from all over. There was a fair. You, you sold moonshine and pies, and you had games. It was like there was like a fucking flea market. It was an event. It was it was the day everybody came in from the surrounding area to vote. All right. And now we just stand in line in a gymnasium that we're not allowed to use most of the time. This is BS. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it's where's, where's my mirror maze to vote? So it's eighteen eighty two, and a fight breaks out. At the election, at the election fair, I guess, for lack of a better word. All right. Okay. Uh, Let me guess. The voting machines were malfunctioning. I, yeah, and it automatically. Maybe somebody said something nasty to somebody else. Maybe some people were drunk. End of the day, three brothers get into a fight with this one guy. They kill him. Like, they, they, okay. they kill him. Uh, they run off. Like, they, they dash off into the fucking woods. Uh, they're, they're caught by a local constable, but on their way back to, uh, to the jail in, uh, it was Pike County, Kentucky on the way back to the jail in Pike County, Kentucky, the family of the guy they killed, who's from West Virginia shows up, takes the brothers off of him. And like, they're like holding the constable at gunpoint. Like we're taking them. And the constable, the constable and the deputy is like, yeah, we don't want to die. Uh, like we, we need to put up like a token resistance, but we don't want to die. So they give them back. They, they give them to this Holy family. Shit. The family marches them off into the woods, ties them to trees, guns them down. Oh, guns them down. It becomes known as the pawpaw tree massacre. Yeah, that was the type of tree that they were tied to was the pawpaw tree. So. Obviously, word gets around the family of these three brothers uh, becomes aware of what happened. And they, they know it's the family of the guy that they killed there. And this family just back and forth for years. Back and forth. Okay. For years. All right. Until uh, one, one night in, let me find the exact time here. Uh, about, yeah, 1887. No, 18, okay. 1886. No, no, was it? No, it was 1887. 18, okay. 1887. Uh, a group of the guys from West Virginia get together and they go to the homestead of the family of the brothers because they've been fighting for years now. They've been fighting for like five, six years about this. Right. Um, and they seeking out the head of that family who they think has been running this whole fight. Uh, they set fire to the cabin, and this this, this, ah, this whole group, it's this whole group. They set fire to the cabin. Uh, the The guy they were looking for wasn't in the cabin. Who was in the cabin were his oh. three daughters, or his oh. yeah, his three three daughters, his teenage son, and his wife. Oh. His one surviving son, and his wife. Uh, his surviving son is killed. One of his daughters is killed, but they're trying to flee the cabin. Uh, two of his daughters make it into the woods safely. His wife comes running out of the cabin. Uh, they knock her to the ground and beat her so badly that she has brain damage for the rest of her life. Ends up ends Holy up dying shit. years on in an asylum. Kentucky is pissed. Yeah, right. rightfully so. So, Kentucky says, we're going to indict these fuckers. And they indict them. 
Like, because right after they do this, this whole family just goes back across the fucking river there in West Virginia. All right. Kentucky. You would think West Virginia wanted to indict them as well, seeing as this is going to get worse before it gets better. So Pike County issues uh, an indictment for murder, charges them with murder. Uh, everybody okay. can identify who was there gets charged with murder, like everybody in this family. The governor of Kentucky sends it to the governor of West Virginia. All right. Now, the, okay. the governor of Kentucky at that point is uh, a gentleman named Simon Bolivar Buckner. Not a great guy. Buckner. Not a great guy. Right. Just got to get that. I'm from Kentucky. Not a great guy. Uh, he had a history. He had a history. He had a history. Uh, a huge part of his history is uh, after the Civil War, there was a law that said a, a Confederate official, a high-ranking Confederate official, couldn't hold public office, right? Okay. Yeah, they repealed that law. That's how they got Buckner, because Buckner was a Confederate general during the Civil War. Oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, so Buckner sends the extradition request to West Virginia. West okay. Virginia's governor sends it back and says, you didn't attach the affidavit. Okay. So well, that's one of the rules. One of the rules. Yep. Yeah, so Kentucky's governor sends it back again, accompanied by the affidavit. And the West Virginia governor's just kind of fucking sitting on it. Because the family over there, the ones that were, are really politically connected in West Virginia. Like they are, they're they're wealthy. They're huge landowners. They're extremely polit- Like one of the members of the family who's under indictment is a judge. Oh my! God. He's a judge of a court in West Virginia. Like these are. This is a very extremely well connected family. So there's no chance in hell the governor of West Virginia is going to give him up. Like, he's he's playing games. He's sending shit back on. You didn't attach the right documents. And he comes back and he's like, eh, you didn't attach the right documents this time. And it, it keeps going like this. Now, the governor of Kentucky in this time frame uh, had commissioned some lawmen. All right. And okay. one of the lawmen that was under commission from the governor's office uh, and the Pike County Sheriff at that time is a former agent of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. known Pinkerton as, Detective Agency. Known as Frank Phillips. Or, or as he would become to be known later, Bad Frank Phillips. <laughs> like he, Bad Frank Phillips. All right. And Bad Frank Phillips has been charged with when the governor of West Virginia issues the warrant and has this these people arrested bad frank phillips and his posse have been charged with going into west virginia to collect them okay all right you remember we get back once they're in custody they've got you got to send a designated agent in to get them and bring them back to where you're at so right. bad frank phillips has a posse that's what they're supposed to do that's that's the beginning and end of their authority from the governor of kentucky all right? okay one of these people is a gentleman named Pliant Man. All right? Pliant Man was with the group. He, he was somebody who was there at the shooting. Okay. And in January of 1888, now remember, they sent the governor of Kentucky sent this request over in September. All right? The shooting is September of 1887. Right. All right. Yeah, September of 1887. The shooting happened... Uh, New Year's Day, 
So it's been about a full year since okay. the, since this shooting uh, and retaliation for, for the murder of the three boys. It was in retaliation for the murder of another guy and an election. And, yeah. and all this has been going on for years. And Like I said, escalation. Right. I mean, like it's escalated amazingly out of control. Yes. So it's January 12th, 1888. The governor of West Virginia is not responding to the extradition warrant, and bad Frank Phillips is sitting there on the West Virginia-Kentucky border in Pike County. He's got a posse of guys. Uh, they're supposed to go into West Virginia when they're notified, and bad Frank Phillips goes, you know what? Fuck this. Takes oh his posse, rides across the river into West Virginia, and by force just grabs these fuckers. And takes them back to Kentucky and throws them in jail. Okay. Okay. So that's not going to go well. So they're in jail. And obviously, the governor of West Virginia, by the way, if you want to know, because we got man, we got pliant man. Right. Gotta love that name, pliant man. It's so good. Pliant man. Pliant man is one of the people who was grabbed by bad Frank Phillips without the extradition. Okay. Who do you think justice is? Justice? Justice. All right. So this is, man, one of the people, is that just the legal entity of of Kentucky? It gets even better. Who's justice? Justice was the name of the Pike County Jailer. Oh, my God. He was born to have that job. (laughs) He's born for it, man. Right? So... What's your middle name? Also Justice. The only thing that would have Tom been... Justice Justice. <laughs> so West Virginia, it, it, I mean, they're pissed. They're angry. West oh, Virginia really? West Virginia turns around and uh, they file a writ of habeas corpus in, uh, in the, the district court uh, for Kentucky. Uh, okay. the, the, for the Western District or Eastern District of Kentucky. Uh, they file, well, probably just the District of Kentucky then, but but they file what's called a writ of habeas corpus. And a writ of habeas corpus is, uh, first, present the person. You, you jailer, have a person in your custody. You need to right. present them to the court. Number two, when you present them, you need to present the charges that you are holding them on. And okay. Just to make sure, because if you can't make out uh, the grounds that they're being held legally, we're going to order you to release them. Okay, right. and West Virginia's argument is they when we didn't issue extradition, they invaded our sovereignty. They sent bad Frank Phillips and his posse in to kidnap these guys in the middle of the night and drag them back across the river into Kentucky so they could be arrested there. And that should be so illegal that they should be released and they should be returned to us because they have been arrested and held without process of law. Okay. And, are, and really in violation of the process of law. Because the process of law requires that they follow the extradition process. Right. All right. Uh, and the court in Louisville, like, is they, they, like, they send out a, a U.S. marshal who are like the, the servants of the district court. They send, out okay. a, they send out a U.S. marshal and they're like, go to Pike County, get Mr. Mann and, and the other bring him here for habeas corpus and like the marshal's on his way to Pike County and he, he runs into Mr. Justice who is actually transporting Mr. Man to answer the court's order. Uh, 
And then justice sends back to the court when, when they're like, okay, now we've got him. We know the body's here. What's your justification for holding him? Justice the jailer, really the governor of Kentucky uh, at this point, through Justice the jailer, respond with, here's the indictment from Pike County. They, they've been legally charged in this state with murder. Uh, here's their confinement from where we have them. Here's the evidence we have against them. Here's the affidavits. Here's everything. And it doesn't matter how we got him out of West Virginia. He's here now, and he's under indictment here, and therefore we can proceed. We don't have to release him for due process. Because, That's interesting. Because he was he's here. Yeah, he was legally arrested in our state. How he got to this state doesn't matter. That's wild. And, okay. And West Virginia comes back and says, He's only in your state because bad Frank Phillips and his posse, who you deputized, crossed into our state without authority of law and as agents of the state kidnapped him and dragged him back to Kentucky to be uh, arrested formally. And Kentucky came back and said, mm, not exactly. We, we, we authorized bad Frank Phillips to go collect him. Once you had arrested him and told us he was ready to be picked up, we didn't authorize bad Frank Phillips to go over there. He wasn't acting as an agent of the law when he did that. Because he was acting outside of his throat. It'd be like if a police officer went and robbed a bank. Yo, he's not robbing the bank as a police officer. Now, if he steals from the bank while on duty and the performance of his, that's one thing. But if the officer just yeah. goes, robs the bank in his off time, He's not acting as an agent of the government when he's robbing the bank. That that just turned into one of the most complicated bank robbing stories. Like, first, I'll become an officer of the law. We only need two more officers in the court, and we got it. We will extradite that money with bad Frank Phillips. So the court in Louisville, the United States District Court in Louisville. Okay. How do you think they decide? In Kentucky, they're going to keep them. Yeah, exactly. They're like, nope. They're going to keep them. Indictment's fine. You know, it doesn't matter how We're he got here. He's good. And yeah, it, he's here now. It goes to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. All right. right? Uh, and the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, what do you think they say? Is this uh, the court that would be in Kentucky, right? Well, the, the Sixth Circuit covers, like, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio. Okay. Like, the Sixth Still Circuit. Still get to keep them. Yeah. Exactly. Still yeah, Still yeah, one hundred percent. Sixth Circuit goes. Yeah, no. The uh, the writ of habeas corpus was denied by the United States District Court. We're denying it here too. So now it goes up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. Okay. And the U.S. Supreme Court acknowledges, says, yeah, no, he they, they fucking kidnapped him. <laughs> like like bad Frank Phillips and his boys went to West Virginia and kidnapped this guy. <laughs> like, oh my god! Like they they went out there. They kidnapped him. They dragged him back to Kentucky and they threw him in jail. It's an elite. You know, the only reason he's in Kentucky is because he was kidnapped. The government can't be allowed to do that. That's the argument. The U.S. Supreme Court's like, okay, we, we get it. Like, we agree that's exactly what happened. Like, you, you bad Frank Phillips 
because they didn't want to wait for legal process with extradition to be fulfilled because it may never be fulfilled, but they didn't go that far from West Virginia. Bad Frank Phillips extrajudicially outside of the law. That's what extrajudicial means outside of the law, crossed that river into West Virginia, grabbed pliant man and these other guys, yanked them back across the river, threw them in jail. Okay. So now the only question, the absolute only question is, is a state allowed to do that? Is a state uh, is a state allowed, essentially, to kidnap someone from a sister state? And what's the recourse? Is the recourse in that situation that the uh, the courts can say no? You got to let them go. You know, you let them go, and we're gonna send a U.S. marshal to escort them back to fucking West Virginia. Because if it was foreign countries. There's obviously a recourse if one of your citizens is kidnapped and held by a foreign country, right? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. bang bang. Uh, but states, yeah, that's <laughs> states shouldn't do that. There was a whole issue about that, like 28 years prior to this case. Um, right. So West Virginia saying, you know, you courts have to be the recourse for us. You have to give us our citizen back. Okay. Because he's okay. removed from our state without process of law. What do you think the Supreme Court says? Uh, just judging by the sound of it, I'm going to guess that they said that you cannot go into another state and grab somebody, that that's their job. Well, so, no, you already said that they don't make it their job until 1987. This is, this is slightly different, though, because this is not, can we order the governor of West Virginia to hand them over? It's, can we say that you, Kentucky, under the 14th Amendment, cannot just seize citizens of other states say, and force yeah, them to stay I, in I, trial? I, I, yeah, I'm going to say the Supreme Court said, no, you cannot do that. The Supreme Court actually said, yeah, we can't do shit. Uh, <laughs> Wait, really? The Supreme Court said, first of all, uh, we believe Kentucky. Bad Frank Phillips was not acting as a government agent when he crossed the river into West Virginia. His his authorization as a government agent was only to return them from West Virginia under indictment, so that was not a government action. The 14th Amendment only serves to restrain government action. Okay. Number two, where it's not a government action, really, doesn't matter how they fucking ended up in the state. They're there and they're under indictment. Holy shit, really? Yeah. So they can be arrested. So, so the so is this the beginning of like fucking overstate bounty hunter? Oh no no, because that had been going on for a while. Oh really? That had been going on for a while. Uh, like a lot of bounty hunters that you see, they they were under like federal warrants. When you think about right. that, a lot of them because like it was a whole different system then. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like a U.S. marshal in certain territories those a lot of times were like federal warrant holding people who were essentially okay a lot of time, but. okay so uh so yeah no kentucky lets it gets to keep pliant man even though bad frank phillips essentially kidnapped him with the supreme court saying the fact that he would like we agree it was illegal we we agree that bad frank phillips and his posse violated the law and bringing pliant man from west virginia into kentucky Okay. We, we 100% agree with that. Uh, however, they were under a valid indictment in Kentucky, and once they're there, they can be arrested and forced to stand trial no matter how they ended up being there. Uh, to the extent that the way this happened was when the Supreme Court was like, yes, the detention by bad Frank Phillips was illegal. Uh, that 
the lawyer for these men, because they all had, let's say, Pike County, Kentucky in 1887. They all had one fucking lawyer. Uh, right. The lawyer for these guys, like, appears, and he's like, well, the Supreme Court ruled that you were arrested illegally. But since you're in Kentucky, as long as you're arrested legally here, you can stand trial. Uh, and and the, the, the legend is that uh, bad Frank Phillips took the keys from the sheriff, walked over, unlocked the cell door, opened it, and then slammed it shut, locked it again, said, y'all are under arrest, and left. God, okay, that's a great legend. Also, did uh, bad, bad Leroy Brown over here ever get uh, sued for, you know, oh, no. kidnapping? Nope, absolutely not. He just stayed the fuck out of West Virginia from that point forward. Why did they come kidnap him? Uh, the, the escalation has ceased. Well done. Because bad Frank Phillips was kind of like there's a whole area of history around that one man, just to let you know. Oh, okay. Uh, he he was like a notoriously violent Pinkerton agent. He he was like a a rough and tumble mountain gunslinger. Oh my God! Uh, there he there were books written about him. He actually died in a bar fight at some point in like the eighteen nineties. No one's really sure when. Uh, when he got drunk, and one of his friends called his memoirs a crock of shit, and they drew down on each other. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, like it's it's a whole thing, um, and. Yeah, it's, that's crazy, right? Now, sir, yeah. now years later, they put something in place uh, called the Federal Kidnapping Act that made like a federal thing about crossing state boundaries, uh, okay. where where it was no longer purely a state issue. Like, because at that time there was no federal kidnapping act. Kidnapping okay. was a state yeah. crime, not a federal crime. Hence, the reason the federal government couldn't go grab bad Frank Phillips. Right. Because it wasn't a federal crime. It was a state crime. So West Virginia would have to indict bad Frank Phillips and then send an extradition request to Kentucky. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Like, like yeah, you, you see, or you know, send somebody across the border and try to grab bad Frank Phillips, who has a fucking posse, and it would probably result in a goddamn war. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, oh, my God. So, so you would think, yeah, the the federal kidnapping act took care of that because now it's a federal crime. So now, if somebody, if somebody, ostensibly not under the color of law, even though everybody knows they are, uh, just ignores extradition and crosses into another state and seizes somebody and takes them back to the state they're charged with illegally, uh, whether they're arrested and charged, obviously the the uh, the federal kidnapping act leads to those people being charged. Okay. Right. Okay. Now that all it, it's, so then it's, they, they it's tried how, to it, fix this crazy ass domino thing that you've just set up. Yeah, like um, that's how it would work. Would work. That, oh, God. that that's how it would work. Um, Build me a birdhouse, boozy. How did this woodwork happen? What happened? So it's 1952. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and a, a guy kills somebody in Michigan. Okay. And then flees across the border to Chicago. Oh, neck of the woods. Okay. Uh, where the Michigan police track him down, wait for him outside of the apartment he's in, hit him over the back of the head with a blackjack, put handcuffs on him, throw him in the trunk of the car, and drive him back to Michigan. As government officials do. Where he stands trial for and is convicted of murder. Okay. Uh, he 
brings an appeal saying my arrest was illegal. <laughs> you know, my, my, they, they, they broke the law in arresting me. Uh, I should be released and these motherfuckers should be arrested under the now in effect federal kidnapping act. Right. Okay. 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 Uh, that goes all the way up to the Supreme court of the United States. The case is Frisbee v. Collins, 342 us 519, uh, 1952. Okay. And the Supreme court of the United States says, you know what? You are absolutely right. Uh, if somebody, uh, goes into a state, blackjacks you, handcuffs you, throws you in the back of the car, and drives you across state lines. Uh, that is very obviously kidnapping. And, Sounds like it, yeah. Unless they're cops. Um, no. The Supreme Court actually said that the harsh penalties of the Federal Kidnapping Act made it unimaginable Congress anticipated it to apply to police officers who were who were ostensibly performing their duties you're kidding yeah and uh as a result uh they stayed in jail the 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 extrajudicial extradition was held to be legal it, it was well not legal it was held to be illegal in illinois um, so these cops really shouldn't go back to fucking Illinois. They can be arrested for kidnapping. Uh, yeah. but it was not a violation of the federal kidnapping act. Therefore, not a violation of the 14th amendment. Therefore, the detention of him, uh, and transporting across state lines to stand trial in the state that he was indicted in was completely legal. All right, can we at least say no blackjacking? Can we at least? We, we don't. Can even, we double down on no blackjacking? Like we don't even really get to say that. Uh, there, there's oh. actually th- this became a whole thing, um, and there's actually a Supreme Court doctrine uh, after two cases on this called the Kerr Frisbee Doctrine, and Kerr was basically man and basically frisbee. Uh, except instead of uh, we went across state lines to beat up somebody and haul them back illegally, uh, okay. was we went to Peru and did it. Oh, yeah. So so Kerr was the one that's like, yeah, no, we can we can do it internationally. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're here in violation of a treaty that's between those governments. The state can still prosecute them because they're here. Uh, and Frisbee was okay. They, you know, despite the federal man said it doesn't matter, uh, if it was an illegal kidnapping across state lines, once they're in the state, they can, uh, they can be charged. Uh, they can be rearrested and, uh, and charged criminally and, and convicted, uh, and it will stand. And then Frisbee said, and the federal kidnapping act doesn't stop the holding of man. Holy shit. Uh, the Kerr Frisbee doctrine though, uh, yeah. it still exists. Really? Still exists. It's still in use. Uh, there's been about a dozen cases that have applied it, uh, where they where they've had that discussion in the Supreme Court. Uh, the most recent case that I was able to find was called uh, United States v. Alvarez Machain. Uh, it was a 1992 case where the DEA directed the kidnapping of a Mexican citizen from Mexico to bring him into the United States to stand trial. In 92? 1992. Holy shit. Uh, It's obviously not used for... And one of the reasons it's not used very often now is... uh, International incidents? 48 of the 50 states uh, have signed a uniform extradition compact. 
It's okay. a, and it's essentially uh, a law that standardizes state law extraditions between all the states. Okay. Uh, that coupled with the 1987 case of the United States Supreme Court that says, hey, if a governor refuses to extradite somebody after a lawful request, we can now send marshals in to enforce a court order to make you do it. So it removed a lot of those issues, at least interstate-wise. Because now, okay. now if a governor refuses to extradite somebody after a lawful request, you don't have to send in bad Frank Phillips and his posse. You, you go to the district court and you say, hey, they have a legal obligation to extradite. Uh, they haven't done it. And the court can go, yeah, that's right. And we'll issue a writ of mandamus and we're going to send U.S. Marshals to enforce it and, and arrest this person. Uh, so there's an operation in place now. So, okay, that makes yeah, that makes more sense. That, that's why, like the one, the United States v. Alvarez Machain. That's why it's a ninety-two case because in 1987 is when the U.S. Supreme Court said, "Yeah, the governors don't really have this unofficial discretion anymore because our courts can now, our federal courts can enforce this if uh, if they refuse Love to." Love it. Uh, wait, do you want to love it a little more? Yes. Okay. So I told you Pliant Man was a member of the family that crossed the river, the Little Tug River, into Kentucky uh, right. to to shoot up the cabin of the father of the three boys who were killed in 1882 or right. uh, after killing the member of the family in West Virginia uh, at the election. And those two families, the reason this got so he is those two families had had a history. Like, the, the guys who were in those two families uh, had served in the same unit in the Civil War. Uh, one of them was an officer. Okay. The other one was a private soldier. The officer kind of technically deserted and ran a, okay. ran a wildcat band of Confederates, basically Confederate guerrillas, while the private, who was a poor Kentucky farmer and wasn't politically connected at the time, uh, actually got captured and spent the rest of the war in a prison camp. Uh, oh, one of his relatives uh, in the Kentucky side, because the, the eastern half of these states were really weird in the Civil War. Like, you'd have family members that were staunchly Confederate, uh, but a couple people who fought for the Union and family members who fought staunchly Union had a couple families that fought for the Confederates. Uh, the nephew of uh, the Kentucky guy fought for the Union. And when he came back for, to the little area on uh, what they called convalescent leave after being wounded... Okay. Uh, the West Virginia guys, guerrilla band, caught up with him and killed him. Uh, so, I mean, like, there was a lot between these two fans. And that's why the fight really happened in 1882. It sounds like, this sounds like the Hatfields. Like, this is wild. Would you like to know why Pliant Man was there? Like, why he was shooting at the cabin? Why? Pliant, you know, I said one of them was a judge in West Virginia. One of the guys who yeah. was indicted. Uh, his daughter was Pliant Man's wife. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Pliant, Pliant Man was uh, married to the daughter of uh, Valentine Wall Hatfield. Hatfields! Whose brother, all, oh, whose brother no was Devil Ants Hatfield of the West Virginia Hatfields. The cabin they burned that was that down was that of old Randall McCoy, the head of the McCoy family. U.S. case law on extrajudicial extradition between the states arises directly out of the, the Hatfield, Hatfield and McCoy feud. They're 
There's no way. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I was going to say Hatfield a few times. Like, no, no, I never heard any of this stuff. This isn't Hatfield. <laughs> it, that's cool as hell. <laughs> I, I, I wanted, like, I, uh, I saw that case. And I went, oh, no, this guy blows fucking mind. <laughs> oh, I had no idea that came from that. That's, it, oh. Uh, th- it is the U.S. Man v. Justice, which set a precedent in 1888 as to extrajudicial uh, extradition between the states. Because there had been other cases like that somewhat before. Uh, but they were different types. Like there was one back before the civil war, uh, between a guy who had had been arrested for slave stealing in South Carolina was sentenced to death. Uh, but then was paroled on the idea that he would leave South Carolina and never return. So he went to North Carolina, but he crossed across the border like one time, uh, and then left the state before they could catch up to him. And okay. the governor of South Carolina then sent people across the border to drag him back. And the question that went up to the Supreme Court then, though, was not under charge, but somebody who's been convicted and is now being brought back to stay in the punishment. Okay. They haven't held the bans. Uh, but the one that said somebody who was indicted can be extrajudicially extradited uh, was Man v. Justice. Awesome. From the half film McQuaid And it gets better. Okay. Bad Frank Phillips. Oh, yeah, I remember him. Bad, bad Frank Phillips. Yeah. Bad Frank Phillips, in his work against the Hatfields on behalf of Kentucky, met a young lady, That and he married her, and they remained married until he died in that bar fight. Okay. And her name was Emma McCoy. She was the daughter... Come on. Of Randall Hatfield's nephew who was killed by Devil Ants Hatfields uh, and his guerrilla band during the Civil War. Come on. That is a wild story. That That is incredible. There are so many tendrils. So many tendrils. Right. And, oh, I love it. And that is episode 32 Extrajudicial extradition. Dude, I love that you got the Hatfields and McCoys into right. this. Nicely done. Right. Oh, <sighs> I knew I should have said it earlier. Damn it. <laughs> if you had said it earlier, though, it would have ruined it for me. Because then I want to uh, actually, I want to spend the rest of the episode like trying to hide the ball with you. Like, uh, I, like I was, I was slipping in just enough and watching your face to see if your eyebrows would go up and if you would look like you, you were realizing it. That was that. Well done. Well done. Uh, oh wow, that is incredible. That a story that I have like. Hatfields and McCoys is something I learned at grade school. I've seen documentary to, to find out something like that had such a bearing on such a wild and like used law. That's so cool. Right. That is so cool. Right. And that, that is the beauty uh, of some of these is when you look back and you're like, Oh, this is really tied into a bunch of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is, this is really tied in. Like there's, there's some cases I'm looking at. Uh, for future episodes, and one of them's like the court case that led to cocaine being taken out of Coca-Cola. 
holy shit like it's the there's there's cases on this stuff so uh folks that is episode 32 of boozy's little funhouse extrajudicial extradition uh i've been your host boozy badger uh, i hope you enjoyed it as always if you like the shit we do you can support us over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor or go to paypal.com and just send us a tip uh at lawyers and liquor and if you like the shit our our certified legal layman alkali does alkali where where can they find you? You can find me streaming four days a week, Sunday, uh, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, over at twitch.tv, Alkali and Zanny. Thank you so much. Yeah. And folks, Alkali and Zanny have their own Patreon as well. Please go check it out. I believe it, it's patreon.com slash the dragon show still. That is correct. It's still the old show's name. Yep. Yeah. Uh, until next time, I am Boozy. I'm Alkali. You have a wonderful rest of your day.